Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's Hacker. Talk about a fried egg. I lasted about five minutes out there. I said, the heck with this. I'll do this in the morning. And I don't have any inside information. The lady that did it, she got in there. Don't I know. mean, she made it happen. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. And I do enjoy drinking cold beer at ballparks. So if that makes me a baseball fan, then I'm a diehard baseball fan. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are starting another week with us as we now have a Super Bowl matchup. Boy, what a championship Sunday. We witnessed yesterday the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. The last two teams standing. Of course, both of those teams beat your Jaguars by a combined score of 51 to 12. But... You know why they won those games by a combined score of 51 to 12. They are the two best teams in football, and they will decide the world champion coming up in 13 days. We'll certainly spend some time on that. I want to begin with Championship Sunday. I also want to begin with things I noticed yesterday in relation to your Jacksonville Jaguars. Guest lineup looks like this. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, it's Monday night. Here on Hacker After Dark, that means my buddy Dave Campo, Monday night coaching with Campo. We'll have the former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys on to review Championship Sunday. We'll talk a little Ryan Nielsen. We'll talk a little Jaguars. So Dave Campo, less than 15 minutes away. And at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, we will head out to Mobile, Alabama, the Senior Bowl going on. That's right. It's Senior Bowl week. The draft starts in Mobile, as they say. My buddy Matt Verderam of SI will be out there in Mobile all week. We will talk Jaguars. We will talk AFC South. We will talk Senior Bowl. And, yes, we will talk Championship Sunday with Matt Verderam of Sports Illustrated. But as we do every night to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So a couple of things really stood out to me involving Championship Sunday yesterday. And I will begin with this. I have often told you that I am the oldest 40-year-old on the planet. And I believe I'm in the running for that. I do not lead an action-packed life. I lived through my 20s, and that's good enough for me. I like uh, the simple things, like a glass of chocolate almond milk and watching the evening news to stay up to date on my current events and listening to 1010XL pretty much all day, every day. My life is very simple. Some would call it boring. Some would say I'm old. I like to say it works for me. And what else works for me is the simplicity of football. You tackle, you block, you score touchdowns, and you kick field goals to get points on the scoreboard. I am not in the analytics 
side of things like a lot of the people my age are. I do enjoy websites like Pro Football Focus to see how they grade players. I enjoy that aspect of analytics. I think the fact now that when teams are down eight in the fourth quarter, they go for two is absolute nonsense. Nonsense. That's the analytics side of things. I also think that going forward on fourth down from the 27-yard line because your percentage of converting a fourth and two is for, is higher, I guess, than making a 45-yard field goal, again, that's nonsense. We've watched NFL football in the way we've known it now for going on five and a half or six decades. We're about to play Super Bowl 58. And this absolute crap about, well, the numbers say to go for it instead of kicking the field goal. No, they don't. I don't know what numbers you're looking at. I deal with numbers in reality. And what reality tells me when it comes to the Detroit Lions is you're up 24 to 10 midway through the third quarter. You got a 45-yard field goal to make it 27-10. What are you doing on planet Earth going for that? Well, Hackery dropped the ball. They had a great play called. I don't care. I don't care if they would have scored a touchdown on that play. That is idiotic by Dan Campbell. And I like Dan Campbell. Dare I say I have man love for Dan Campbell. I think he's everything that is right with the National Football League. Uh, You know what? Uh, Dan Campbell, that's a guy I could see myself drinking a beer and talking football all day long. I think he's great. He had an awful game last night. Awful. Not only do they not take the field goal at 24-10, inexplicably down 27-24, He, again, does not take the field goal to tie the game, and they don't convert on fourth down. And if that wasn't bad enough, then with a minute to go and all three timeouts, you run the ball, you get tackled, thus having to burn a timeout and thus ending your season. What a Cinderella story. What a great feeling it was seeing Detroit celebrate those two playoff wins but what an absolutely horrific way for it to end. Horrific. Dan Campbell's a great coach, and he has turned that program around, turned that franchise around, and I love what he's done. But my gosh, that was awful last night. Call me old school, call me boring, whatever you want to call it. Kick the darn field goals, man. I, I Denmark, you're 15 years younger than me. Are you the numbers guy? Did you think it was good to go for those? No, I'm a defensive guy. I, I kicked the field goal. I, I, not so much in the first time, the first time, but the second time you, could, you definitely got to kick the field goal. But, I mean, it's not surprising. It's what he's done all year, and that's what got him there. So it, it, It's what got him there, and I, I, you know what? You're like a majority of people that I've heard say that today. And, again, I'm, I'm old, I guess. You cannot coach the NFC Championship game like you coach week four against Minnesota. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I saw something where it's, they were, I think it was like 20 of 25. It's like, yeah, that's great, but it's, it's, it's not Chicago. This right. is not week six against Atlanta. Like this is the game. And yep. when you're up that big 24-7, like look at the Kansas City-Baltimore game. How big were field goals in that game? I had you people know? telling me, you're right, and I had people last night saying, oh, this is what he does. He's a riverboat gambler. 
Look, week eight against the Atlanta Falcons, and you go for it on fourth down, all right. It's not the road in San Francisco fighting for the right to go to the Super Bowl. I thought that was horrific by Dan Campbell. Terrible. And then Lamar Jackson, Zay Flowers in Baltimore. I mean, what do you say there? Everything was right in front of them. They had Mahomes at home. The Baltimore defense shuts out Kansas City in the second half. And Baltimore still could not muster enough points. It is going to be long. You think the offseason here has been long. It is going to be long offseasons in Baltimore and Detroit. But that brings me back to our hometown, beloved Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, there was a time during Mike Malarkey and Gus Bradley and even somewhat Doug Marone's tenures where the Jaguars did not look like they played in the National Football League. They looked like they were something else. They just did not look like a competent NFL football team. Loss after loss, beating after beating, it was embarrassing, it was ridiculous. They've graduated from that. They are absolutely a respectable NFL football team now. They belong on an NFL field. They didn't belong on the fields yesterday. When you watch that Kansas City-Baltimore game, the physicality of those two football teams, when you watch San Francisco-Detroit, the weapons that both of those teams had, moving the ball up and down the field, I don't know if you guys saw this, but to my eye, man, Jacksonville's got a long way to go. A long way to go. Keep in mind, that Baltimore team beat Jacksonville by 16. That Kansas City team did not allow Jacksonville to score a touchdown. That San Francisco team beat Jacksonville by 31. Detroit, albeit last season, absolutely annihilated Jacksonville in the Motor City. And you can see why. Jacksonville is not among the bottom tier of the NFL anymore, so they've gotten better. But they got a long way to go to look like the teams I saw yesterday. A long way to go. From playmakers on offense to coaching and play calling to just the physicality of those defenses, man, that was some stuff to watch yesterday. And I just don't think Jacksonville is there. I don't think they're anywhere close to being there. Can they get there? Yeah, they probably can. They got some of the pieces in place. But the way those teams played yesterday, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, from the pass rush to the linebackers making plays to the secondary, I just think Jacksonville's got a ways to go. Jacksonville has went from bad to competitive, which is a great first step. It's like Trent Baalke said last week. Now you got to go from competitive to championship level. And Jacksonville, at least what I saw yesterday, is not there. They're not even close to being there. It's good to be competitive, but to go from competitive to championship worthy is going to take a lot more work with this roster. A lot more work with this roster. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Again, Matt Verderam, Sports Illustrated, out in Mobile covering the Senior Bowl. He comes up in about 45 minutes or so. Coming up next, it is Monday night. That means Monday night coaching with Campo. My buddy Dave Campo, he's our head coach. 
here on Hacker After Dark. Let's talk Kansas City. Let's talk San Francisco. Let's talk about new Jaguar defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen and all points in between. Dave Campo with you next on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 58 is now set once again. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. How do they continue to do it? They take care of Baltimore. San Francisco beats Detroit in a game they'll be talking about for quite some time in the Motor City. So it's Chiefs and 49ers. And on top of that, there's an awful lot of Jaguar news going on as well. With all that being said, I mean, welcome in my friend Dave Campo. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo right here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great. And, uh, you know, yesterday was was uh, pretty darn good. You know, when you get to that game, those games, it's pretty close to the best four teams, you know. And, uh, you know, when the games are tight, that's what the game is all about. There's no doubt, Coach. And let's begin in the American Football Conference. Kansas City gets it done. They're going to their fourth Super Bowl in, I believe, five years. It's a crazy feat by both Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and that entire organization. Let's begin with the losers, though, in Baltimore. I got to tell you, Coach, I got real questions as to that Baltimore offense and what they were thinking during that game. Well, you know, obviously uh, they're predicated an awful lot on the ability to run the football, including the quarterback. And just like every ball game, a lot of it comes down to, you know, what happens uh, during the course of that game. And, you know, when you get some penalties, you get, you know, they, they kind of prided themselves on being a very aggressive, tough, hard-nosed uh, defensive football team, especially but uh, in, in all aspects. And, uh, you know, when, when uh, Flowers, you know, gets a taunting penalty, uh, you know, those kind of things, you can't win with those kind of things in big ball games. And, you know, on defense, uh, you know, some personal fouls, it just can't do that in a game, that, especially when two teams are very close. And that's what happened in that ball game a little bit. I've seen people want to blame John Harbaugh for the Ravens playing undisciplined football yesterday. Is that on the coach or is that on the players? Well, I think they've been pretty disciplined all year, so I'd have to take it away from the coaches. Uh, and it kind of goes to the the player uh, being smart enough to, to not do those things. You know, uh, if it happens all the time, I think then it's a coaching issue, a discipline issue within the ball club. But I think that, you know, they went into that ball game feeling like, you know, we're going to, we're going to hit these people. And, and it was, I've read a number of articles about their team and how aggressive they are and those kind of things. And, uh, you know, they actually, uh, in, in all honesty, got away with one on, on Mahomes, you know, and, and it just was one of those games where they tried to insert their will uh, they did it in some uh, unconventional ways. Let's just put it that way. You know, one of the things that was really interesting coming out of that game was the Kansas City defense. And we always talk about Mahomes and Kelsey and Andy Reid, and with good reason, right? They're the stars. But, boy, Steve Spagnolo, it did not work out for him as a head coach. 
but some coaches are just better to suit at, as coordinators, and Spagnuolo is one of the best coordinators the NFL has seen in a long, long time. It seems to be his time of year in January because, once again, Coach, Steve Spagnolo and that Chiefs defense completely shut down a terrific quarterback yesterday in Lamar Jackson. Yeah, they did a great job of, of pressuring, you know, with five and six to make sure that the majority of the gaps were handled so that he couldn't take off and run because when he takes off and runs, uh, he, he, he can make people miss. There's no question about it. In fact, one of his longest ones, uh, they had the gaps covered and one of the inside interior linemen spun out of there trying to go make a play and he ran right through there. Spags is an outstanding football coach. He's been that way for a long time. I've known him, you know, for, for an awful long time. And he is one of the better guys uh, in the business. And I think one of the things that, that escapes people sometimes, I go back even, and, and this is not about me. This is about uh, Dave Wanstead, Butch Davis, and myself, the three coordinators during the, the Super Bowl run, uh, the, you know, the triplets with uh, Dallas were, got all the uh, recognition. But in reality, the defenses in those games were critical in winning ball games. And I think that has to be the case when you get into this level of ball. You know, you can't allow another team to uh, control the ball on you. You've got to be able to stop the run. And that and, and Jacksonville did an outstanding – or excuse me uh, – Kansas City did an outstanding job with that in that ball game. It is Monday night coaching with Campo. My friend Dave Campo here with us on Hacker After Dark. Coach, you were a defensive coordinator. You went up against some of the greatest offensive players the league has ever seen, including the great Jerry Rice in your battles with San Francisco. And Travis Kelsey yesterday passed Jerry Rice on the receptions list for postseason football. He's 34 years old, but Kelsey continues to play at a all-time high. I mean, what can you say about Travis Kelsey at this point? Well, I made the comment when I was watching the game to to my wife. Uh, you know, this guy's too good to retire. You know, I've heard, you know, the, the retiring thing for a while here. Uh, I, I think he, you know, unless he's just had enough of it, there's no question his skill level has not left him and especially the the uh, compatibility with Mahomes and knowing each other and knowing what they're going to do, uh, it, it, it's fantastic. Uh, I know one thing, if I had been Baltimore, I'd have spent a little more time uh, making sure that he didn't beat me. The head coach, Dave Campo, here with us. Coach, we'll get it more into this certainly next week, and if Kansas City wins, then the conversation will really begin but Andy Reid in the postseason, I mean, second only to probably Belichick, right? He's got to be the best coach of this generation. And you got to start wondering in the pantheon of great NFL coaches of all time, where you put Andy Reid on that list. He's right, into, right at the top. And whether or not that's better than Belichick or Belichick's better or Tom Landry or whoever it is, he's right there. I mean, there's no question – uh, when you put together a run like they have, uh, there's no question he's he, he, and and he's won in, in wherever he's been. The guy is uh, an outstanding uh, offensive guy, and uh, he's really good at 
evaluating talent, talent obviously, along with the personnel people. And uh, his staff is outstanding. So you've got to put him way up there. Uh, I think he's unbelievable, to be honest with you. Uh, and what they're doing is unbelievable. I texted him after the ball game, and I said, Andy, your guys are unbelievable. You know, final question for the AFC championship portion of this, Coach. The two quarterbacks, Mahomes, I mean, what do you say at this point? We'll get more into him in the next couple of weeks, certainly, because he's still playing. As far as Lamar Jackson goes, does yesterday's performance affect Lamar, in your opinion, moving forward? I don't think so. I mean, I think Lamar, uh, you know, obviously uh, that's a a little bit of a total offense thing, not just him. I think he did enough this year to show that he is one of the top guys in the league. Uh, I was asked on the primetime show this week prior to the game, you know, which as a defensive coordinator, which one that I would be more concerned about playing against between he and Mahomes. And and my answer was Mahomes, not because Mahomes is light years better than Lamar, but I thought the entire offense was better at Kansas City than the one in Baltimore. And I think that that's the case. I think that, you know, Lamar is asked to do certain things and he does them very well. And uh, do I think he's a pure passer? Absolutely not. Can he throw the ball? Yes. And so, you know, to me, both of those guys are at the top level uh, quarterbacks in the league. Monday night coaching with Campo. My buddy Dave Campo here with us on Hacker After Dark. To the NFC title game, Coach, uh, we'll get to San Francisco in a moment, but let's start with Detroit. You and I were texting back and forth last night. I love Dan Campbell. I love everything about Dan Campbell. I think he's great for the NFL. Having said all that, I thought he had a horrific night in the Bay Area last night. What were your thoughts? Well, first of all, I, I, you know, again, you know, when you're talking to me, you're talking old school, and all these analytics and all that stuff were were not around. You know, you make decisions based on guts, and you know, you, you had an idea of when to make certain calls, when not to make them. But one of the older ages was you very, very seldom take points off the board. Now, you can say, okay, analytics say, and, and really analytics, when, you, when they talk about going for a fourth down call and where to go for them and all those, it's, it's minuscule. It might be you've got a 52% chance of making this. Well, you also have a 48% chance of not making it. I think when you make those calls, it is really based solely on where you're at in the ball game, uh, how critical is the situation, and how good you feel about your third down or and short game, because that's what it is. It's a third and and two, three, or four uh, situation that you're that you're dealing with. And to me, there's a difference between being aggressive and being reckless. And I think he went a little overboard with the macho part of it and was a little too reckless in that ball game, especially the second one. He put the points on the ball, go back up 17, and let's move on and, and let's see if our defense can't, can't uh, you know, have a chance to, to, to win this game for us. And I hear people saying, well, they've done it all year, and that's all fine and well, but you got to read the room. 
and you knew San Francisco was going to make a run. You knew they were, and you're up 24-10. You kick that field goal. It's 27-10 midway through the third. Instead, they decide not to go for it. Reynolds drops the ball, and in literally the blink of an eye, it is 24-24. To that point, to San Francisco's portion of this, Coach, we got to give them credit because in back-to-back games, they probably have not been the better team. I'm not sure they played better than Green Bay, and I don't think they played better than Detroit, but they're packing their bags for Vegas and for Super Bowl 58. Three or four plays in a game make the difference when you got two teams that are very close to each other, which, you know, you, you would like to think that the four that were in this were really the same team. Uh, you know, whoever played better in those uh, games, in those four plays or so, uh, win the football game. And sometimes the coaches involved with going for fourth downs instead of kicking a field goal. Sometimes just a guy fumbles the football when in a critical situation. Uh, you know, you just don't know when those plays are going to come. And, and I would agree with you there that in, in my mind, I thought San Francisco, they had no answers uh, early in that ball game. And uh, one thing I've, you've heard me say many times, I've seen teams jump off the 20-point, 21-point leads in the first half. In the second half, the other team makes adjustments and you let it eat. Baltimore was one of those teams yesterday because in reality, uh, Kansas City did nothing in the second half. So you see that happen a lot in the league because they have experienced players and experienced coaches that can make adjustments during the course of the ball game. I have to give it to San Francisco. They, they, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't panic, and they did what they had to do. And I tell you what, anybody that says that that uh, our our man Purdy is a manager, uh, I don't think they're looking at the ball game. That guy's a winner, and his running plays probably with the difference in the football game other than the mistakes. I want to end with the Jaguars coach, and we'll obviously get more into the Chiefs and the 49ers next week when we preview the game. But final thought on yesterday, who should be more upset, Baltimore or Detroit? Who let a bigger opportunity slip away, in your opinion? Well, because of of, of where they sat, I, I would have to say Detroit because – I'm a firm believer, Hack, that you're a champion until you're not. So Baltimore playing against Kansas City, I picked Kansas City. And and the reason was they they are the champion until they don't end up there. Whereas on the other end, Detroit was a huge underdog and really uh, had a chance to win that football game. They just didn't get it done. Final moments with Dave Campo. All right, Coach, since the last time you and I talked on the Jaguar home front, they have a brand-new defensive coordinator in Ryan Nielsen. What do you know about Ryan Nielsen, formerly of New Orleans, and last year Atlanta? Your thoughts on that hire here in Jacksonville? Well, I think it's a solid hire because, uh, you know, when you look at statistics, and I know statistics are not the only thing, but when you look at the statistics – uh, he made a tremendous amount of improvement with the Falcon defense during that period of time. And that usually comes from having a good solid foundation philosophy and, and you know, implementing his, uh, his motivation or whatever is involved. That usually comes into play. I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the one thing about it is that when you look at coordinators over history, 
defensive line coaches usually don't get them very often because they're zeroed into what's going on up front and really don't know the back end that well. So when I was asked about him before, I said a lot of it's going to depend how I feel about him based on who he brings in to cover the back end. And bringing in Chris Richard, uh, I know him a little bit. He's a he's a darn fine football coach. I think he understands the pro passing game. So I think the combination of those two are, are a pretty good blend on what they're going to do defensively. And, and the one thing about that guy, uh, Nielsen, uh, he's he's aggressive, uh, which I like, and he they had a good pass rush group without having one guy that sticks out, and I think that's a plus. Will there be obvious things that the casual football fan coach will be able to see differences between a Mike Caldwell defense and a Ryan Nielsen defense, or will they look somewhat similar? No, I think they'll be much more aggressive, and the concern is going to be. You know, when you look at them, and, and I don't know what uh, film uh, Trent Balky was looking at when he said <laughs> they were a zone principal football team. Uh, you know, they they had the most press corner situations. Now, you can play, you can play some zones with the corners pressed now, but uh, they were a man-based team the majority of the year, and, and that's going to be interesting to see what happens with the corners that we have or whether or not they have to go out and get some. And, you know, to me, you'll see a more aggressive unit. Uh, and I think, you know, those guys, if, if for some reason, watching their, them play, uh, they got a lot of guys free when they did blitz. And that's something that we didn't see here. There weren't a lot of guys just running scot free with the blitzes, the zone blitzes that we ran around here. So I'm hopeful that's what you're going to see, a little bit more pressure on the quarterback and making them uh, execute. Coach, final question. You've been a defensive coordinator in the NFL for many years in your past. What's the protocol? Ryan Nielsen gets hired. He gets the job. Has he personally reached out to Josh Allen and to Trayvon Walker? Have they reached out to him? Have they already met? How does that process go here in the month of January? Well, I can only speak of what, you know, I did. You know, and as soon as I got the job in Dallas, the first thing I did was call the guys that, that are the, the champions in the locker room uh, on defense. And, uh, you know, I knew those guys, obviously, because I uh, was with the club, you know, during that whole time. And, uh, you know, I think he probably reached out to the guys that, that are maybe free agents to kind of give them a, 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 you know, and Josh Allen is a perfect example. I don't he's. In other words, this contract negotiations being done, let him know what I what I'm all about, and uh, you know I would think that he reached out to some of those guys and and to kind of give them a, a heads up uh, to what to expect. And the off season's going to go quick now. Three weeks in, in fact, free agency is just six weeks away, and they got to figure out Josh Allen. They got to figure out Calvin Ridley. A lot to be discussed here in Jacksonville over the next 40 or so days. Dave Campo, it's always Monday Night Coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, have a fantastic week. Next Monday, we will preview the Chiefs and the 49ers in Super Bowl 58. Appreciate you, my friend. This is a great week for those guys. You know, when you're getting ready for the Super Bowl today, this Monday is the best day of the year 
until the guy that wins the Super Bowl. Because right now, those guys are in the 24-hour rule, and they've got an extra week to get ready for the ball game. So this should be a real good one. I think this is one's going to go to the wire. And they get the pack for Las Vegas, which uh, first Super Bowl in Vegas, which just adds to it. No question about that. Thank you, Coach. You got it. Have a great week, Hack. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. 14 minutes before the 9 o'clock hour. We'll take you up till 10 o'clock tonight, as we do every night here on Hacker After Dark. 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Matt Verderam of Sports Illustrated, who's out in Mobile, Alabama, at the Senior Bowl right now. He joins us in less than 15 minutes. We'll talk a little Senior Bowl, talk about the Jaguars, a little Ryan Nielsen, a little AFC South and then certainly focus a little bit on San Francisco and Kansas City. Also coming up at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, my buddy Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks. I often joke around with Mark, that man has forgotten more about college basketball than I'll ever know. And boy, if you were watching Saturday, that was an entertaining game between Florida and Georgia. Of course, the backdrop of former Gator coach uh, Mike White being in Athens as the head coach of the Dogs. Obviously, Todd Golden trying to establish something in Gainesville. Florida gets up 21 points in the second half. 21 in the second half. And Georgia comes all the way back to tie the game to the point where they had the ball with a chance to win it. With about 15 seconds to go, it ultimately goes to overtime. Florida makes more plays, wins the game, survives, and keeps their season afloat. Because let me tell you something. If Mike White and the Georgia Bulldogs went into Gainesville and came back from a 21-point deficit and found a way to win that basketball game on Saturday, uh, the Gators' season might as well have been over. And the Todd Golden tenure at Florida would have been in serious, serious peril. That was a program-saving win over Mike White and Georgia just because of your former head coach being there, blowing a 21-point lead, a rival. I mean, everything was working against Florida. And to their credit, in overtime, they were able to circle the wagons, if you will, and get that victory. I'll also say this, too. Boy, and I'm going to talk to Mark Wise about this. You know, you start looking at college basketball, it's sneaking up on us, right? Selection Sunday is only about six weeks away. The first conference tournaments begin in about a month. So there's really, I mean, we're kind of coming down to the wire a little bit. It's only midway of the conference season. But Florida, as an example, has played 22 games. They only have 11 games left. They're two-thirds of the way home in their regular season. Actually, they've played 20 games, and they have 11 left. So, yeah, roughly two-thirds. They sit at 14-6 and six on the year, 4-3 and three in the Southeastern Conference. Everybody in the SEC is a jumbled mess. I also wanted Mark on because Florida on Wednesday this week, well, they go to Lexington. They go to Rupp Arena to take on John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats. So, Figured it was a good time to get Mark Wise on, and he will join us coming up 
in about 45 minutes or so. Back into the world of the National Football League, I said earlier tonight here on Hacker After Dark that to me, to me, it did not look like the Jaguars belonged on those fields yesterday. I just don't see the physicality in Jacksonville, the play calling, the playmakers in Jacksonville that I saw with those other teams. I'm getting a couple of uh, you know, negative responses on social media, and that's fine. One thing to consider, though, when I make that comment is this. Jacksonville played Baltimore, Kansas City, and San Francisco this year. Played all three of them, and in fact, played all three of them right here at Everbank Stadium. They scored a combined one touchdown in those three games. One. And that was against Baltimore. What was it? 23-7, Ravens won. 17-9, the Chiefs won. And, of course, 34-3, San Francisco won. So if you take the combined score of those three games, you're looking at, what, 74-19, I believe is what the Jaguars were outscored by Baltimore, by San Francisco, and by Kansas City this year. Look, there's no shame in admitting this. Jacksonville was the worst team in football in 2020. They were the worst team in football in 2021. You know why I know that and why you should know that? Because they had the number one pick in the draft. I'm not conjuring this out of thin air. They were the worst in 2020 and 2021. And in a very short amount of time, they've gone from the worst to now being in the conversation of the middle of the pack. They are average. They're not any better than average. They've been 9-8 and eight last year, 9-8 and eight this year. That is the definition of average in the regular season. It's a heck of a lot better than where they were in 2020 and 2021. They've made the gigantic leap from being awful to being average, which is commendable. But if you want to be championship worthy and if you want to be in the conversation among the great teams in the league and you watch those two games yesterday, Jacksonville's not there. They're just not. And again, 74-19 to is the point differential in three losses to Baltimore, San Francisco, and Kansas City, all games at home here in Jacksonville. And, of course, those three were in championship Sunday yesterday. It is Kansas City. It is San Francisco. I was telling Baloo this earlier. And we'll obviously have a lot of time. The game's still 13 days away. There'll be an enormous amount of buildup for this game. But, boy, I was fired up for the idea of Detroit and Kansas City. You started the season on Thursday night. was at September 9th in that game at Arrowhead. Detroit went in there and won. I thought, man, you're going to start with that game and you're going to end with that game in Super Bowl 58. It had a lot of appeal. Andy Reid, Dan Campbell, Patrick Mahomes against Jared Goff. There was just a lot of stuff there. And when San Francisco came in last night and just absolutely destroyed Detroit in the second half, to me it was kind of a buzzkill to an extent. I was far more interested in Chiefs-Lions than I think I am Chiefs-49ers. I think it's a terrible matchup for the 49ers. Absolutely terrible. I think Kansas City is going to win the game. I'll go ahead and tell you 13 days out. 
I just think the buildup for Detroit, Kansas City, the intrigue, at least to me, would have been a little better. I'll get there with Kansas City, San Francisco. I'll be excited about it by the time it kicks off 13 nights from now. And maybe it's my affinity for Dan Campbell and my absolute bewilderment last night at watching him just absolutely throw away that game. Um, it'll be hard to live that one down. They will be talking about that game in Detroit, and we will be talking about that game in regards to Dan Campbell until he does something about it in the postseason down the road. Because that is one of the coaching mishaps that I've ever seen, one of the biggest ones. You pass up on two field goals. You run the ball when you shouldn't have with a minute to go. It was a lot of problems for Detroit, and it's really unfortunate because what a great story, great season, but an absolutely terrible ending. And quickly, when it goes to Baltimore, again, I think you got to question Lamar Jackson. Whether that's fair or not, that's reality. He's now three – no, wait a minute. He's two and four. Yeah, two and four in the postseason. He's been to the postseason four times. He's won two games. He loses again at home. He loses a game in which the Baltimore defense shuts out Kansas City in the second half. And again, it just goes to show you what we've always said about Baltimore. If you get up on them early, they tend to have problems. They're not good at coming from behind. Look, when they have the lead... It's easy to run the ball down your throat and unleash Lamar Jackson and all that. But when you get out in front of them and you make them play catch-up, they panic a little bit. And I think you saw Todd Munkin, the OC for Baltimore, panic a little bit yesterday. They hardly ran the ball at all. Lamar Jackson was back there playing backyard football. His receivers couldn't get open. It was a bad look for the Ravens. Again, I said earlier, Baltimore and Detroit both had every opportunity to win yesterday. They both lost, and it is going to be long off-seasons full of a lot of questions for both teams, and both teams have a lot of decisions to make in free agency, and who knows? I mean, if you're Baltimore, think about this. Burrow was hurt. Herbert was hurt. Lawrence didn't make the playoffs and was hurt. Uh, Deshaun Watson was hurt. You got Mahomes at home and you still couldn't get over the top, is Baltimore ever going to have an easier path than what they just gave away yesterday? I don't know. And again, an awful lot of free agents to re-sign in Baltimore. That team is going to look a lot different in the coming weeks than it did yesterday. We are at halftime here on Hacker After Dark. One hour down, one hour to go. Jacksonville, we are with you until 10 o'clock tonight. 641-1010 is the phone number on the text line. Designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Coming up next, let's go out to Mobile, Alabama. The Senior Bowl going on out in Mobile. My buddy Matt Verderam of SI. Let's talk Senior Bowl. But let's certainly spend some time on Jacksonville, on the Ryan Nielsen hire, on the Brian Callahan hire, the brand-new head coach of the Titans, and we will certainly talk about Championship Sunday. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. A Monday night in Jacksonville, Florida. And you have it right here on Hacker After Dark, 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. And then there were two, Super Bowl 58 
will be the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. Boy, Championship Sunday was a lot of fun, but in the end, Kansas City and San Francisco are the two left standing. Of course, the Jaguars have a new defensive coordinator and are looking for a new direction following the biggest collapse of their franchise's history. And with all that being said, the Senior Bowl is going on in Mobile, Alabama this week. So there is a ton to get into. With that, let's go out to Mobile. My buddy Matt Verderam of SI, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Matt, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Matt, we're good. Appreciate you joining us. I know it's a busy week. I know you're in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. I've been out there a few times myself. It's certainly the kickoff to the off season. really is what I look at it as. And, uh, boy, the Senior Bowl out in Mobile, really some interesting prospects, Matt, that are going to get underway this week. Yeah, you know, it's a really good group. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Just got that. And look, I mean, the quarterback's going to be a big story, right? I mean, it, it, you know, you got Penix, you have Knicks, you have, you have Joe Milton, who I think a lot of people are interested in watching him close out of Tennessee. And, um, it, it is it is a loaded, loaded group. You know, I've been here some years where, you looked at the quarterbacks, kind of like last year, quite honestly, and Pickett was here, and he's, or a couple of years ago, Pickett was here. And you, you look at some of these groups and say, eh, okay. And then other years, there's years like when Herbert was here, and it was uh, it was a group you looked at and said, okay, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how all these guys shake. Um, but it's a it's a good group, a lot, a lot of good quarterbacks, uh, a lot of good offensive linemen. And I, I think that's going to be a spot that's really loaded this year here in, in Mobile. So, uh, looking forward to uh, getting to practice tomorrow and watching uh, the pads pop a little bit. Yeah, when we were out there, the Jaguars were historically picking in the top five, so we were out there about three or four <laughs> years in a row. We thought the Jaguars would be picking a lot later in the draft than at number 17, which is where they landed, Matt. You and I haven't spoken since the collapse at the end of the year. Uh, my gracious, man, what do you make of what happened here in Jacksonville at the end of the season? Yeah, you know, really, I mean, look, some unfortunate – injuries i mean obviously lawrence you know he gets hurt a couple different times and didn't seem like he was 100 percent. but i i think if you if you're being realistic it wasn't just the injuries i mean they, they defensively they could not stop anybody from throwing football and it got to a point where i mean if you can't stop the pass in today's nfl you're done i don't care how talented you are unless unless you have an offense that is just so dominant that you can win games 35 31 every week it's going to be tough to overcome that and you know, we saw Jacksonville as the year went on. It, you know, they, they just simply could not get off the field, uh, which is why there was the change at defensive coordinator. Uh, I still believe in, in Trevor Lawrence. I still believe in a lot of the playmakers on offense. But at some point, you got you got to be able to defend down the field. And other than Josh Allen on defense, uh, there weren't enough guys stepping up. There were not enough guys, and certainly nobody in the secondary who you looked at went that guy week in, week out, I know is going to play at a Pro Bowl level. Um, just wasn't good enough. And in the end, uh, you know, a really, you know, a, a brutal loss to Tennessee and it leaves a lot of questions. Matt Verderam of Sports Illustrated. Matt, we mentioned Mike Caldwell is out at defensive coordinator. Ryan Nielsen is in. Now, I don't know a lot about Ryan Nielsen other than the people I've talked to in Atlanta that really liked him in the one year he was there. And in watching the Falcon defense, they did some nice things this year, Matt. So from that alone, I guess I'm intrigued by Ryan Nielsen coming to Jacksonville. I think he's a great hire. I do. Um, you talk to people in the league, he's highly respected. Look, I mean, he really – the only reason he was available was because Arthur Smith got fired. You know, it wasn't anything that he did. It wasn't like he was let go because of poor performance. Um, you know, and that's a unit in Atlanta with some talent. 
uh, but not an overwhelming amount of time. I mean, I think you'll look at them and you know, Jesse Bates came over last year in free agency. He was great. Calais Campbell feels like he's, he's ageless. Uh, I still had a nice year there. And, but you know, they, they are a team defensively in Atlanta that you look at them and go, okay, there's good talent. There's good personnel. There, it's not like you're looking at the Legion of boom over there. Um, I, I think, you know, coming over to, to Jacksonville, he should be able to implement a defense that plays a little bit more sound in structure. Uh, it's a little bit more control that, you know, not going to have as many breakdowns in coverage. I, you know, look at the way Atlanta played. Um, I, I think the best word for it is just sound. They, they weren't flashy and spectacular all over, but they were just a good, sound, smart defense. And that was something at times in Jacksonville they weren't last year. A lot of blown coverages, a lot of mistakes. Um, I mean, sometimes you're better off just being sound and not being incredibly gifted. Of course, you'd love to be both. But you, if you're sound, you're not going to beat yourself. And, and in the NFL, a lot of times, that, that, that wins you the game because the other team will they'll make enough mistakes to let you get out with a victory. Yeah, the Jaguar defense would be good in being sound and not letting David Njoku fair catch a couple of touchdowns and Derrick Henry run right. through gaps as wide as the Pacific Ocean there at the end of the year. It was a cluster of errors for the defense towards the end of the season. Matt, you know, Trent Baalke's going to remain as GM. Press Taylor is going to remain as offensive coordinator. There's a lot of questions here about both guys. Let's begin with Press Taylor. That's that's an odd dynamic with he and Doug Peterson, right? I mean, you could argue that cost Doug Peterson his job in Philadelphia, the loyalty to Press Taylor, and we're kind of going back down the same road, aren't we, here in Jacksonville a little bit? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think it's – it's look, it, it remains to be seen how this is all going to shake out. But I do think at some point if you're Peterson, you have to be willing to say, look, I'm the head coach. This is – going to be my offense sink or swim doesn't mean press taylor can't have a say in it doesn't mean press taylor's got to be fired but like i do think if you're peterson i mean that's your baby that offense is your i mean you're a former nfl quarterback you made your bones coming up as an oc won a super bowl with a team that and that's in that super bowl i mean Foles had the, the game of his life and and wentz was on his way to be an mvp that year before he got hurt so I mean, he has obviously overseen some very successful offenses including jacksonville last season when they went to the playoffs um, but I think, you know, there needs to be a little bit more of, Hey, look, I'm the one running the show. This is my offense. Press Taylor's here in a supporting role. Um, much like you see in Kansas city right now with Maggie and, and Reed. I mean, Maggie's there to help install the game plan and make sure things are on point. But like it's Andy's offense. I mean, Andy's running that show. And I bring them up because Peterson coached with all those guys in Kansas city. Like that, that should be kind of the model that I think he should follow. Matt Verderam of SI. Quickly to Trent Balky, Matt. The Jaguar fan base is probably more unhappy that Balky remains than Press Taylor. Uh, your thoughts on Trent Balky? And boy, he held a press conference last week where, again, just did not make a lot of friends among the Jaguar fan base here. Your thoughts on Balky moving forward here in Jacksonville? Um, I would say that I, I understand the frustration. Um, Balky brought in a lot of talented guys in San Francisco, but that was always a combative situation with the 49ers when he was there with Jim Harbaugh. Now, some of that is Jim Harbaugh's a combative guy to begin with, and so you mix those two. Okay, fine. Uh, you know, it's a different personality dynamic with, with Peterson there. But, you know, Balky's somebody who, you know, I, I think it's fair to say sometimes you know, look at the personnel decisions and you say, look, you overpaid this guy. 
Or, you know, maybe this guy got drafted around too high. When, when Bulky likes somebody, he goes all in a lot of times for him. And, and look, it, sometimes that's fine. Sometimes that works out for you. Maybe maybe you were aggressive and, and you beat another team to the to the player, whether it be in free agency or the draft. But, you know, Bulky is a guy who has a history of, you know, he'll, he'll have some big hits, but he has some big misses. And, you know, if you're Jacksonville right now, you've got Lawrence on a rookie deal here for the next couple of years, plus, you know, control with tag and stuff if they use it. Um, you got to take advantage now because this conference is not getting any easier. I mean, Stroud is clearly an elite quarterback in Houston. We don't know what Richardson's going to be yet. We'll wait and see there. But Steichen's a very good head coach. You know, look at around the AFC. Look at all the quarterbacks. I mean, yeah, forget Rodgers for a minute since he's older. But, like, just Mahomes, Herbert, Jackson, Allen, Burrow. I mean, on down the line. The guys already mentioned. Lawrence certainly among them. Stratton. It's just not going to get easier. So, you, you can't afford big misses. you got to hit. You do, and and look, they the Jaguars, you know, 12 months ago thought they were the team that was going to be in the top five, and heck, they were 8-3 and three in the number one seed in the AFC for a few hours, and then it all yep. came crumbling down. You know, we know it was a battle between Houston, Indy, and Jacksonville. What about Tennessee, Matt? Brian Callahan, the brand-new head coach there. Uh, you look at Titans Twitter, they think it's the greatest hire on planet Earth. National guys, your colleagues, not so much. What's your opinion on the Callahan hire? I know it doesn't make for great radio, but I'm kind of in a wait and see mode. Look, you know, it's hard to evaluate a guy like Callahan because he comes from Cincinnati where they have the lead offensive talent and they have an offensive minded head coach in Zach Taylor. So how much of their success was due to those factors? How much of it was due to Callahan? Now, if you talk to people around Cincinnati, they'll tell you, hey, look, Brian Callahan is a, is a first rate coach and that's fine. But, he's not walking into a situation with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. He's, I mean, that, that's just, it's not reality. So you don't know what that is. Will Levis, is he the future or is he a guy? Um, DeAndre Hopkins played well this year. He's older. You know, Traylon Burks, I think flashes, but you know, going into year three, is he, was he worth that first round pick? I don't know that we have the answer to that question yet. There's a lot of questions. I, I think Callahan has promise. I think he has potential. But to sit there and say either it's a bad hire or it's a good hire, I just think a lot of times we always see a guy, you know, you know, young coach, especially on the offensive side, they get hired, and everybody runs to say how great the hire is. Like, you have no idea. I mean, for every guy who is a Shane Steichen, there is a Brendan Staley. Mm-hmm. Like, for every – so I think we just have to wait and see. I think it has promise, but I don't think we know a ton about Callahan. Final moments with Matt Verderam of SI. He's out in Mobile covering the Senior Bowl. Matt, I know you'll be in Vegas next week covering the Super Bowl, and that's where Kansas City and San Francisco will be. Uh, look, let's talk about the losing teams first, the Detroit. Your thoughts on Dan Campbell and his uh, disregard for anything that resembles a field goal in the second half of that game. I, I've always liked Dan Campbell. I liked him since the second he got hired. I thought his press conference, everybody was killing him. I thought it was, I thought it was honest. I thought the players would like him. That game yesterday is indefensible, period. Flat out, I don't care what any analytics guy out there said. I don't care. Like, that. that is – you cannot pass up that field goal at 27 to 24. You want to argue about the first one at 24 to 10? Okay, I would have kicked the field goal, but okay, I can hear that argument. To not kick the field goal with whatever it was, seven, eight minutes left, down three points. I mean, what, what world are you in? 
you need to tie the game. And then if the Niners go and score, worst case, you can tie it. And instead, they don't get anything. And then they go and they give up a touchdown. And then they get to the goal line. And I, to this to this moment in time, I have no idea what they were doing on third down running the football. And then calling a timeout. I mean, that, that essentially finished off the game. I don't know why they did that. I thought it – look, I thought Campbell, he was aggressive all year, and that's fine. You can't coach a playoff game like you coach week three. And I know people like to be like, well, you know, you got to be consistent. That's great. That sounds good. It's a different game against a much better opponent. You have to play differently. They didn't. They're home. I completely agree with you. I love everything about Dan Campbell. I thought it was a horrible night for him. And as far as Baltimore goes, uh, Lamar Jackson struggles again in the postseason. Steve Spagnuolo, the Kansas City defense, the Ravens had no answers for him. What does this do to Jackson and the Ravens moving forward, losing that game yesterday? I, I think it's a devastating loss. And not just because, well, you know, they had an opportunity and they lost. But like when you look at them, let's be real. They're going to lose a lot of guys in free agency this offseason. It's coming. They have a ton. There are very few teams that have more talent. Maybe nobody who has more talent hitting free agency than Baltimore. Whether you want to talk about Clowney, Matt Abuke, Kevin Zeitler, Odell Beckham, uh, Geno Stone. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. They are not going to retain a lion's share of those guys. Japan Jackson now. This was a huge opportunity. Chargers and Jags with the lead quarterbacks don't make the playoffs. The Bills get knocked out. They don't have to play them. Burrow's hurt. Rodgers is hurt. If there's ever a year that you see, you know, Stroud, it's his first year. He's, he's dipping his feet in the water. The Chiefs are very mortal, or at least appeared to be anyway. Like, you have an opportunity right there. And you're at home. You're the number one seed. And I thought the most, I guess, the hardest thing to swallow for Baltimore out of that game for me is a lot of it was just they did to themselves. I mean, it was just personal fouls. I think they were frustrated. I do not think they expected the Chiefs to come in there and physically hand it to them. And that's what happened. And I, I think they had a really hard time dealing with that physicality, which is normally their calling card. Um, it's a crushing loss considering what, what this offseason is probably going to be like for them. And the absolute crazy thing, Kansas City didn't even score in the second half, and Baltimore right. still could not find a way to get it done. Matt, final thoughts, Super Bowl 58. You'll be out in Vegas, obviously, covering it with the Chiefs and the 49ers. I know we're still 13 days out, but what's your early thought on the Super Bowl? I think this is a rough matchup for San Francisco. I, I, I do not think this is going to go well for Brock Purdy against Spagnuolo in this game. If there's any coordinator in the league you you don't want to face as a young quarterback, probably Spagnuolo right now. I mean, I they have completely shut down the best offenses that they've seen all year long. I mean, Baltimore was scoring 30 points plus almost every single week for the last three months. They scored 10 points. And they had the ball constantly, as you alluded to, in the second half of the game. They still couldn't score. Um, look, I respect the Niners. I think they have a lot of talent. I think this is going to be one of these games where about the middle of the third quarter you're watching it going. Spagnuolo just has his head spinning. He, he's just throwing so much at him. Uh, I like the Chiefs in the game. I think the Chiefs will find a way. I don't think the Niners' defense is as good as it's been in years past. I think it's decent. I don't think it's great. Um, between Mahomes and Kansas City's defense, I, I think they're going to find a way to win that game. You're as close to Kansas City as any national guy is. There's already a rumor if Kansas City wins, that might be it for Andy Reid. Any, any thoughts on that? I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked. Um, I do not think that's – I mean, look. He's 66. 
Um, he's one of the older coaches in the league, but, but he's not the oldest by any stretch. Uh, and he's got a couple of years left in his contract. I, I have had no indication from anybody I talked to in Kansas City that that's the case. I think there's speculation because of the age. Same thing with Kelsey this year. I think Kelsey's coming back no matter what happens. Um, I, would, I would be very surprised if, if it's the end for either one. Matt Verderam, Matt of SI. Now you're in Alton Mobile. You'll be covering the Senior Bowl. But I saw you started a piece there on SI today. It's going to be running where you had a lot of people involved in it. Tell, take mm-hmm. us through that here in Jacksonville for people that want to check that out on SI.com. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it went up – well, the first part of it went up today. So, I wrote a piece. I wrote a, It's a large project. The 50 most influential teams in NFL history. Uh, teams 50 through 41 went up today. It's a five-part series. It runs, you know, one part every day this week on SI.com. Um, for the piece, we had a panel of, I believe, 31 people, some of the most esteemed people in the, in the country who cover the league, some people who have been in the league, like Bill Polian, and Amy Trask. Uh, we've all, all voted on the top 50 teams for us, came to a consensus on the list. And then I wrote up uh, a blurb, you know, 152 words about each team. We had a panelist quote in there. And then I spoke to a Hall of Fame player, a star player, or the coach uh, for every team that was in the Super Bowl era and a couple of the Packers teams prior to that. Um, and, and they have quotes in there, people who range from, uh, you know, Dan Fouts and Larry Zonka to Joe Namath, Ty Law, uh, on down the list, the entire 104-year history of the NFL. So uh, it also will be in print. It's, I think it just hit newsstands today. Uh, it's 16 pages in the magazine, and that's only about 15% of the words you're going to see online because it just couldn't fit at all. So um, go check it out. It's, I think, in total like 23, 24,000 words online. Uh, but it's broken up into five parts, so it's not going to make your eyes bleed. It's a lot of fun. That is absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to check that out. Matt Verderam, one of my favorites to talk NFL with. Matt, I know you're busy, man. Thank you so much for the time. We'll do it again soon. You got it. No problem. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Really appreciate my buddy Matt Berteram of SI for joining us tonight out in Mobile, Alabama. More on the National Football League coming up in just a bit. But college basketball, well, that was a big one for the Gators on Saturday. They defeat Mike White and the Georgia Bulldogs 102-98 in overtime. Florida's now won three games in a row. They're 4-3 and three in the conference, 14-6 and six overall. And their reward for that is a trip to Rupp Arena on Wednesday night to Lexington and to take on John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats. When it comes to the Florida Gators, SEC basketball and college basketball at large, my buddy Mark Wise has joined me for years. That guy has forgotten more about college basketball than I'll ever know. We'll talk with Mark about Florida, about the SEC, and kind of where things stand a month out from conference tournaments beginning, again, six weeks out from Selection Sunday, Florida, I believe, has 11 games remaining. They need to start piling up those quad one wins is what they call them. They don't have many of those. They could go a long way in doing that if they go to Lexington on Wednesday and pull the upset over Kentucky. So we'll talk a little college basketball. My buddy Mark Wise of the ESPN Family of Networks He's coming up next. Hacker After Dark on a Monday night here in the city of Jacksonville, and we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM.
Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The end of January, and boy, college basketball is really heating up. We are in the middle part of conference season. Heck, Selection Sunday is about six weeks away, and conference tournaments will begin in about a month, if you can believe that. And there's a lot going on, particularly in the Southeastern Conference, where it is a very, very competitive SEC right now. A lot of schools jumbled right in there together. With all that being said, let me go down to my buddy Mark Wise of the ESPN Family of Networks. He does a great job covering the world of college basketball, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Mark, how we doing? I'm doing great, Hacker. Thanks for having me on, and Happy New Year, or maybe Happy Belated New Year. That's exactly right. Well, it's your your time of year. I see you all over the place. What's your travel schedule like in the coming days? <laughs> You're on SEC Network one night, ESPN2 the next night. They got you all over the place. Yeah, this past weekend I was at South Carolina on Saturday and then at FAU on Sunday. Tomorrow I leave for Missouri. From Missouri I go to Nashville and Vanderbilt. So, yeah, we're in the full swing of things. The sprint is on, and I can tell you this from watching different leagues and different players and different teams and coaches, our game has never been deeper. It's never been better. It's, and one of the reasons for that is it's never been older. Um, you know, I'm covering guys now that are doing their 145th game. Their 100. I'll have some guys at the end of this year that will have 100 and 60 games of college experience. So because of that, I'm covering guys that are 22, 23, 24 years old. These are not the 18 and 19-year-olds from five years ago. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Not only is it an older game, uh, it seems to be a deeper game, particularly in the SEC. Mark, it's a jumbled mess right now in the Southeastern Conference. you got a lot of teams that are within a game or two games max of each other throughout the league. I mean, what's your thought in totality of where we stand in the SEC right now? Well, I think there are several things that play. Teams that were preseason picked at the bottom of the league, like South Carolina was preseason picked 14th. They're 5-2. and two. Georgia was picked at the bottom. They're 4-3. and three. Ole Miss was picked at the bottom. They're 4-3. and three. So, so I don't think the, the league has ever been deeper, and I'll give you an illustration of just how deep it is. There's one team in the league that has more quad one wins right now, today, than any other team in the league. Care to venture a guess? More quad one wins than any other team in the league. I'd say it's probably one of the better ones. I'll just venture a guess and say, uh, say Tennessee. That's a great guess. That's incorrect. The answer is Texas A&M, who sits at three and four and twelve and eight overall. Wow. They have four quad one wins, and I think that speaks volumes of how good the league is. I tier, I've tiered. I've said already. I have four teams on tier one. That's Alabama, Auburn, Kentucky, and Tennessee in some order. But if you're asking me to order tier two, no idea. It depends on. What night, who's playing at home, who's playing well. It's that close of a of a conference race. I've always said, you've heard me say this years now, for years, the difference between being sixth in the country and 36 is one possession. Mm-hmm. And 36 and 66 is another possession. So maybe we throw around the, the term upsets a little too frequently, especially when it comes to an unranked team. I mean, really? 
Uh, the number 17 loses to the number 30 team, and that's an unranked upset. I don't, I don't think so. Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks. Mark, is the parody a direct result of the transfer portal? It's several things coming together. It's the transfer portal and the COVID redo. Um, that's allowing more players to spread out for longer. Uh, There's no question that the major conferences are cherry-picking the best players from the mid-majors. I think we're going to have one more year of this, and until we get over that or past that, you're going to continue to see that play out. I think the player of the year in the SEC, hands down right now, is Dalton Connect. Uh, he, he wasn't even recruited out of high school, went to a junior college for two years, then labored at Northern Colorado, where he's a double-figure scorer. But right now, he is by far my choice for player of the year. And he gives Tennessee something, Hacker, they haven't had. They have, they have not had in the last four or five years a guy that they could give the ball to at the top and say, hey, go get me a shot. Go get us two. And he can deliver. Yeah, that guy went for 39, I believe, against Florida. Gator fans are very familiar with him. Speaking of the Gators, it was pretty dicey about a week and a half ago, Mark. Things were not going well, but they've strung together a couple of of good performances, including a Mississippi State game. I know you called that. Florida got that done. Florida wins in overtime after almost blowing a 21-point lead. This could be a very different conversation, but they did end up winning against Georgia and now all of a sudden the Gators find themselves, what, 14-6, and 4-3 and right. in conference play, and they obviously got a big one Wednesday night when they go to Rupp Arena. Yeah, they've got two on the road at Rupp and at Texas A&M, two quad one opportunities, and really the only thing missing from Florida's resume is quad one wins, and it's a kind of a uh, eyesore 0-6 record in those games this year. They don't have any warts on their uh, – on their resume, their strength of schedule is solid. Their non-conference strength of schedule was good, not great, but good, good enough. So I think they're in position to be in position. And until they can collect a quad one win or two down the stretch, I think of their 11 remaining games, six are quad one opportunities. And then you might get one or two other opportunities in the SEC tournament, but If they want to get on the inside of the bubble, they're going to have to collect some of these. Mark Wise, ESPN Family of Networks. Mark, I know you've had Florida a couple of times this year. A year and a half in for Todd Golden. You know, how would you assess where he is a year and a half into the program? Well, in some ways, Hacker, don't you think it's fair to say this is really year one? Because when he started with year one a season ago, he had Colin Castleton. And, and then he played the back half of that season without Colin Castleton, his very best player. So this is the, the – fir- there, there's no question they are much better. Um, they're much better in terms of overall talent. They are so significantly better at the point guard spot. I am a huge Zion Pullen fan. Uh, he's got positional size. He's got a – a great feel for the game. He sees the floor well as a point guard. His assist to turnover ratio, I think, is best in the league. Uh, he's just a dynamite player. He's a borderline pro. That, I, that's how good I think he is. Walter Clayton, uh, when Pullen got eligible after the third game, the three-game sit-out that he had to do, uh, Clayton moves to his more natural shooting position. The only guy that they really can't figure out right now is Pugu. And uh, he's coming off the bench. 
And I, I think he's kind of like his whole season has been uneven. I've said this. I think everything Kugel does is loud. His, his outstanding plays, his, his poor plays, his body language, everything he does is loud. And when you're a loud player like that, don't you get scrutinized more? Mm-hmm. You can, yeah. And Kugel, look, to his credit, and that's one thing with Florida, Mark, it's some nights it's Kugel, but if Kugel's off, right. Will Richard will step off. If Richard's off, Poland's there. If Poland's off, you know, you mentioned Clayton, uh, Tyree Samuel. You know, it's yeah. not just one guy. I mean, any, you know, five or six of their guys, any given night could go for 20-plus. And the one thing about Florida that they have not had in years is, Mark, they're big, man. I yes. mean, they got a lot of size for the first time in a while. Not only are they big, but they're bouncy. Those big guys are bouncy. When you're talking about Han Lodgen and Samuel and uh, Condon, uh, Hauk hasn't gotten as much run lately. I, I think he's learning uh, the ro ropes a little bit, but Condon certainly doesn't play like a freshman. Uh, Han Lodgen, I think, is getting better and better. Remember, he had the ankle injury that kind of set him back. And then I'm looking at the box score from Saturday against Georgia, um, and, and I, I'm watching some of it, and I'm thinking, well, Samuel won very good in the game, he, and he ended up with 8-8. Eight and eight. He, he had 8-8 eight and eight almost accidentally. So uh, that's how good they are. Th their struggle has been defending people. And I think one of the challenges for coaches in the transfer portal, when you get so many new players, there's no carryover. They, from one year to the next because of the de defensive uh, um, schemes that coaches want to run. And therefore, it takes a longer time to figure that out. And right now, I don't know what uh, Florida's defense is identity-wise. They, they better find it in a hurry because in the first game against Kentucky, which was, by the way, a great game. I, I didn't have a game that day. I went to the game. It was a great game if you didn't have a dog in the race, as my father used to say. Um, but they've got to figure out how to keep uh, Dillingham, Wagner in front of them. That was one of the things that South Carolina did. They guarded their yard. They did not get beat off the bounce, so they didn't get caught in rotations. And if you get caught in rotations against Kentucky, then all of a sudden Reeves is making threes, Mitchell's making threes, and they get it and go. Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks. Mark, in the time that we have left, let's talk about some other teams in the SEC. Let's mention Kentucky. As you just said, Florida's there on Wednesday night at Rupp Arena. We know Rupp Arena has been a house of horrors for Florida. It has been for most teams for many years right. in the right. Southeastern Conference. Um, Kentucky this year compared to some Calipari teams of years past. How would you assess where they are right now? Well, there's no question whether Cal wants to admit it or not. They have made a schematic change in the way that they attack. They're shooting more threes. More people make threes. Um, now, they've always made a pretty good percentage, but they just haven't shot enough. They they had too many two-point mid-range game guys. And so now they've backed it out to the arc. Um, you know, and I didn't even mention Reed Shepard, who may lead the free world in freshman uh, making three-point shots. Yeah. Um, so from that standpoint, they are a different team. Now, they went into last week well, with two games on the road, averaging 91 points a game, which led the country. Now, they both teams didn't allow them to play that way. And so uh, they, they had two teams that tempoed the game. I don't think Florida will do much of that. So I would look for another high-scoring high game. 
You know, Georgia obviously doesn't get a lot of play, but because of Mike White and the factor yeah. there, we certainly have focused in on them because some Gator fans were ready for Mike White to go, some were not, and of course the ones that were not wanted to see what Mike White was going to do in Athens. And I'll tell you, Mark, in watching that game on Saturday and really Georgia the entire year, he's taken advantage of the transfer portal too because they got some dudes sure. on that team. Yeah, they do. Uh, um, Thomason gives them an offensive threat. Melendez is kind of a wild card. Uh, Demery is sort of the, the the steady guy at the point, if you will. Um, and and then they have you, you know their three point shooter Abdul Rahim is a holdover from last year, and he's making forty percent from deep. I do do think they play a little faster than they have in the past. Uh, and, and, you know, they're, I think they're averaging right around 77 points a game, something like that overall. Here's what I know about that. Going back to that top tier, though, I, I wanted to mention this. Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, Alabama, they all average better than 80 points a game. I just don't see very many teams being able to do what South Carolina did in terms of uh, beating Kentucky with, with a game in the 60s, low 70s. I think you're got, you have to be willing to score. You have to. You're not going to beat Alabama 68-66. Uh, They're just not going to allow that to happen. I think Tennessee beat them 95-71 or something like that. That's what I'm saying. You got to be able to score. I think to beat one of these top tier teams. Mark, you mentioned earlier you have four top-tier teams in the SEC, a lot of teams in Tier 2. I know Joe Lenardi on ESPN. We're starting to take a look at his bracketology that comes out twice a week. Where do you think we stand in the Southeastern Conference? Obviously, we're still a month and a half out from Selection Sunday, but could you see a scenario where seven or eight teams from the SEC get in the tournament? Well, I, I think it's seven at least. I think that eight is is a more probable number, and there's a possibility of nine. Uh, what they've done lately, and I think you're going to see this for the rest of the year. You know, Ole Miss, uh, and what a job Chris Beard has done there. I had them twice two weeks ago when they went on the road and lost both times. Um, but then they go on the road this past Saturday and beat Texas A&M, so they picked up a huge win there, and they're undefeated at home. Um, so I think you're going to see Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Mississippi State just beat Auburn, so they're inside the bubble. A&M is already inside the bubble. Uh, I think the, the 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 team most likely to follow from this point forward in terms of are you on the wrong side, right side of the bubble is Florida. Yeah, Florida at 14 and six, four and three in the SEC. Lenardi's last bracketology on Saturday prior to the Georgia game had Florida on the outside. We'll see what happens moving forward. Mark, final question. I mean, you look at the SEC compared to all the other conferences in the country, and I got to tell you, man, and maybe I'm an SEC homer here, and maybe my blinders are on, but I think there's a legit conversation, maybe for the first time in a while, that the SEC is right there in the mix to be among, if not the, best college ball, basketball conference right now. I mean, it's been a good year in the conference, has it not? I don't think there's any question about that. And if you were asking me to rank the conferences right now, uh, I think it's a photo finish. I, I think between the SEC, the Big 12, and the Big East, I have them as one, two, three in some order. And then there is a huge gap 
to whoever's fourth. And guess what? Fourth just might be the Mountain West. Mm. So you're not high on the ACC this year. No, I'm not really. Uh, you know, the problem with the ACC is they didn't do a lot of work in the non-conference. And so now when you get up to, to uh, beating yourself up in the uh, uh, in league play, um, you know, I think Lenardi had a, three ACC teams in the other day. Clemson, who's been safely inside the bubble and should be for a while, but they're going in the wrong direction at three and five in league play. Florida State, on the other hand, who, who nobody had in the bubble, but Primo Spears getting eligible as that two-time transfer really gives them a shot in the arm in the position they did not have at all in the uh, at the point guard spot. So, uh, again, it's going to be really interesting to see if one of the – what would really help the ACC is for a third or fourth or fifth team to kind of separate and go on a run. I always say my buddy Mark Wise has forgotten more about college basketball than I'll ever know. Mark, quickly, let us know again where we're going to be able to find you on TV over the coming days. I'm on the SEC Network this week, uh, Wednesday night. Arkansas, who's had all kinds of problems scoring against Missouri, who's had all kinds of problems stopping people. So somebody's going to pick up a win there. And then I've got Missouri and Vandy on the weekend. Absolutely fantastic. And I never com- – Never complain about going to Nashville. No, I don't blame you. I love Nashville as well, no question about it. Mark, I know you're busy, man, with your travels. We really appreciate you joining us tonight. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks. And thank you to Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. As I often say, Mark has forgotten more about the game of college basketball than I'll ever know. But, yeah, the SEC Really jumbled together right now. Florida coming off a nice win over Georgia to get the 4-3 and three in the conference, and they will head to Lexington on Wednesday night to take on the Kentucky Wildcats up there at Rupp Arena. My big takeaway from the evening here on Hacker After Dark, boy, analytics, man. I just don't get it. Uh, call me old school. I'm 40 years old. I often say I'm the oldest 40-year-old on the planet. And maybe that's evidence of this right now. But uh, how you don't take the points in that situation last night of your Dan Campbell and you're the Detroit Lions, I'll never know. And I bet they'll have an entire offseason of wondering how they turned down not one but two very makeable field goal opportunities that could have changed the complexion of that game. I don't care what it says, what the percentages say. How you leave points out there is ridiculous to me. It's like that thing now where teams are down eight in the fourth quarter and they go for two. That's nonsense. That's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I I don't understand it. I never will understand it. Uh, I think analytics are fine and well and good for aspects of sports. But when you start doing stupid things like that, because that's what the percentages tell you to do, I got real questions about that. And because of that, in large part, San Francisco beats Detroit last night. And, of course, they will play Kansas City coming up in Super Bowl 58 one week from Sunday. Well, that'll just about do it. It has been a very busy night here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys for hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks. Appreciate him joining us tonight. Thank you to Matt Verderam of Sports Illustrated, one of my favorites to talk NFL with. He's out in Mobile.
covering the Senior Bowl. Always appreciate Matt taking time out for us here on Hacker After Dark. And, of course, it's Monday night here on 1010XL. And what does that mean? Well, it means Monday night coaching with Campo. My buddy Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, joined us as he does each and every Monday. Talk a little Ryan Nielsen, talk a little Jaguars, and recap what was a very entertaining championship Sunday. We will be back tomorrow night on a Tuesday. Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville, Florida, let me ask you a question. Where else would you rather be from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on our late night edition of Hacker After Dark? And we do hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. Again, I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Tuesday beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.